You know, this part of the, our study of Ephesians where we're talking about family and the Bible's teaching on family, and we're dealing with a subject on which there are tons of misperceptions and misunderstandings, both in our culture and how our culture is redefining what family means and and genders and how we interact, and and even misunderstandings and misperceptions about what people think the Bible teaches. And so there's a lot of ideas that people will read a passage like Ephesians, and they'll, they'll think it says something, and And it's often not what it actually is teaching. And so we're really looking at this. It's so important. And in the midst of this, we started last week. And and this week, we have the wonderful opportunity to have special guests, Mike and Julie Slattery, where they, um, you know, have, you know, Julie's written a number of books, and they they speak a lot specifically on this issue, on God's design in marriage, specifically looking at Ephesians. And so we're so thankful that they have agreed to come and to share uh, Julie is, again, head of this ministry, and Mike now works with her. They, uh, you know, we got her here. She's my sister as well, so that kind of was a good opportunity to twist her arm, and, and uh, so we're so thankful. So let's welcome Mike and Julie Slattery to come. <laughs> Let me just pray for you. Father, I thank you for the blessing that we have to come together, and Father, to be able to look at this so important and so hard to understand and even controversial passage. I pray your blessing on Mike and Julie. I pray that your spirit would speak through them, and I pray that your spirit would speak to each one of us. Help us to hear what you have for us today, Father, that we would hear, that we would understand, and even apply your word into our lives. I pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate it. You know, as Mike uh, asked us to come speak, it made me reflect on our marriage, and we've been married for 28 years, Um, and I actually knew Mike before I knew you, uh, as we were trying to kind of think about that. Um, Mike I knew Mike and I, before I knew you. You knew Mike before you knew yes. me. That's right, since he's your yeah. brother. That's a good catch. Um, you always got to one-up me. Okay. Um, but yeah, we just, um, Mike and I go way back. And Mike um, actually introduced me to Julie. We were attending a singles group at First Baptist West Palm Beach, and it was sunset out on Marco Island. And then at first, you guys don't look alike, so I thought it was your date, which I'm glad it wasn't. That would have been awkward, but now I, I benefited from that. Um, but we started to pursue uh, marriage, and we got inter- and we started got engaged. You did our pre-marriage counseling. Um, you also married us. So Mike's been there for all the important decisions in my life. Um, but Mike, I have a fond memory of Mike of us playing basketball. That's right. Pastor Mike could be a baller back in the day. Um, so we would play basketball. But Mike would always intercede for me because I learned how to play basketball in the Marine Corps, and we don't call fouls like you do. And there you go. Yut yut. I heard it. Oorah. Um, but we didn't call fouls. So Mike would always intercede and, and make sure I didn't get in fights, which is important not to do with the church, right? Uh, getting in fights, doing that. Um, but Mike's just a great guy. And I just want to kind of highlight Mike and Sandy. Mike's selfless. He's, he's very wise. He's very humble. He literally will give you the shirt off his back. And I know they just love the congregation here. They work so, so hard. Uh, it's a rip trait to work really, really hard. And just Mike and Sandy, can you just give him a, a round of applause just for all the hard work they do? So Mike had mentioned that, um, you know, us coming here, we started, I started to work with Julie, so I'll give you a little background about myself. I've been in corporate America for the past 30 years um, and worked for banks, insurance company, most recently Charles Schwab. And I say recently because with three months ago, I resigned to come work with Julie uh, in the ministry, knowing that she just uh, needed some helping hands and was glad to kind of do that and step away from that. But um, in doing so, it's one of those things that we just kind of focus on our own marriage. Right? How do we work in Ephesians 5 into our own marriage? 
you know, that's one of the things that is Mike did a really good job last week talking about that saying, hey, we look at it as Christians, we look at it very differently than the world does, right? And then once again, going back to when we first got married, we looked at it differently because we came from two very, very different backgrounds. Um, Julie grew up in the church. Julie was, went to Bible camps, went to Bible schools, all this fun stuff. I became a Christian in my early 20s. So part of Ephesians says, hey, men, you're supposed to lead your wife. Well, how am I going to lead her when she has all this knowledge and wisdom that I don't have? I'm playing catch up. So we had to work through that within our marriage. Would, that, would you agree? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't, is my mic working okay? I'm working okay. <clears throat> you're working okay. You, <laughs> Are we good? Do we have sound? No. Yeah, we do? No? No, not no yet. Sound. Keep talking. Okay. I don't think I did anything to this. It's green. That's good. So let me kind yeah. of take it real quick. So one of the things is, um, like Mike did the series last week talking about Ephesians, we're going to talk about marriage and hopefully give you some practical ways to allow you to kind of take away to say, how do you work on your marriage using those verses? Next week, Mike's going to talk to the actual men about what God's called you to do within Ephesians. And then Julie's going to come back. You're going to get double dose of Julie. She's going to come back and deal with the S word. Do you ladies know what the S word is? Anyone? Anyone? Submission? Did I hear it? Yes. I'm glad I heard that. The first service said another word with S. We didn't want to talk about that. Uh, but Julie's basically, basically, Julie's going to be talking about submission uh, coming there. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there we go. We've got sound. <clears throat> yeah, this has been something that has been difficult for us over the years to kind of figure out how do we apply practically uh, what Paul teaches about marriage in Ephesians and that we see elsewhere in the New Testament. So what we like to do uh, is what you always do in the beginning of your teaching is just to read the scripture. Mike read this passage last week as we began studying um, marriage and family, but we'd like for you to, again, look at Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles in front of you in the pew or on your device and you want to follow along, I'll start reading from verse 22 and get ready because it's very <laughs> countercultural. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as, for, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to the, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the husband see that she respects her husband. Yeah. There you go. What do you think about that? I'm just loving the fact that you have to use a handheld mic, because typically I'm always the one with a handheld mic. I know. Now I'm a rock star. I got the headset. Yeah, but I've got two mics, so, you know. <laughs> there you go. Um, but as we kind of unpack this scripture, a couple things uh, I'd love for you to keep in mind that have re has really helped me and Mike over the years of applying this. I'm just going to hit a few points that I think will help frame this passage for us. You know, be is this one? 
this one's working. I've got this one working. See, I've got them both working. There you go. Yeah, um, because as Mike mentioned, we've had challenges in applying this to our marriage, as I'm sure you have. For example, Mike now works for the ministry that I founded, and I'm officially the president of. So am I your boss? No. Yeah? (laughs) No, we we worked it out, so he officially reports to the board, so he doesn't report to me. But it's like, how does that work if he's the head, if he's the leader, but I'm the leader of this organization? Like, what does that practically look like? We'd have Um, to get more marriage counseling from Mike. That's right, yeah. Uh, And you may really struggle in your own marriage with the uniqueness of your personalities or your situation, and you're not sure how does this apply to real life today. So here are a couple things that I'd love for you to keep in mind that, again, have been helpful for us. The first one is when we look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, we have to understand that this is not talking about a role, but a change in perspective and heart attitude. Now, how many of you, when you've heard on biblical teaching in marriage, have heard the word role? Raise your hand. Uh, Most of us, the role of a husband, the the role of a wife. When we look at this passage, we actually don't see that word role. And actually, you won't see it in any passages that talk about marriage. Think about this word role. A role feels like something that you pretend you act. It's like you're in a play, and so you have to act a certain part because that's your part to play. And sometimes I think when we transfer that into marriage, we think, okay, I'm one kind of person everywhere else out in the world, but as soon as I walk over the threshold of my home, I have to become a different person. I have to behave differently. And it feels like it doesn't fit. And a lot of times when we look at a passage like this, we think about traditions and roles, like oh, I guess the woman's supposed to stay at home and take care of the kids, and the guy's supposed to go out and and earn the living. And then you say, well, that doesn't fit in our marriage, so do we not have a biblical marriage? And what I want to encourage you to think about is that Paul is not talking about a role or certain behaviors. He's talking about your heart will change as you understand who God made you to be. This teaching in Ephesians chapter 5 is not like a separate thing from everything else Pastor Mike has been teaching on in Ephesians. A lot of times when we hear this passage taught on, it's kind of separate from everything else Paul has said in Ephesians. But it's meant to be an extension of everything you've already heard Mike teach about, that when we are in Christ, we are chosen, we are changed, our identity changes, and the outworking of that is a different perspective on everything how we talk, how we act, how we approach work. And what Paul is saying here is that when we are in Christ, we begin changing so our attitude, our perspective of marriage is different than it would be if we were not in Christ. What we need to understand is a Christian marriage isn't just like a normal secular marriage with a little bit of holy juice sprinkled on it. It's a completely different perspective. There's a different reason behind marriage if you are in Christ. And so we look at what God has called men and women to do within marriage from a different lens than we would if we didn't know God. Would you add anything to that? No. Okay, all right, (laughs) just checking in. All right, the second thing we need to remember as we look at this passage is that God created marriage as a form of revelation, giving us a picture of his covenant love. When God created marriage, it wasn't just so that he would find a way for us to make babies, or I guess this is a good idea to have a family. 
He created marriage intentionally to reveal something to us about himself. And Paul is very clear what he's revealing in this passage that we just read. Again, if we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Paul quotes Genesis, and he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be and held fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And a lot of times, again, we read this verse about this being a mystery, and it relates to Christ and the churches, almost like Paul's having an ADD moment. Like he's, here he's talking about marriage, and then all of a sudden he's talking about Christ and the church. But I want you to notice in this passage in Ephesians 5, through the end, Paul keeps referring to Christ and the church as our example of what marriage is supposed to look like. Now, why is that? Because God created marriage as a physical relationship that helps us understand how he loves his covenant people. You know, even the words here, the illustration that Paul gives of a husband washing his, his wife with the word as Christ presents the, the church to himself as holy and blameless, what picture do you get in your mind? Well, I get the picture of a wedding, at the wedding, this is, you know, my favorite part of the wedding. You have the husband standing here, and he's looking down the aisle, and he's waiting for his bride, who looks beautiful and radiant, wearing a white gown to symbolize holy and blameless. And he's meant to have treated her in such a way that it, it protects her, and it, and it makes her beautiful, and he waits and sees her beauty. And that's what Paul is painting a picture of, that Jesus is purifying his bride, the church, and waiting for that union that we'll experience at the end of time that Revelation talks about. So when we talk about marriage, we're not just talking about psychological tips and techniques of having a better relationship. What Paul is saying here is if you are Christian in your marriage, you have to realize that what you're working on is actually a picture to show the world how God loves his people. And so marriage is a very holy and sacred relationship. And the third thing that I want you to remember as we look at this is God created marriage for intimacy. You know, God created the covenant of his people for intimacy with him. In a similar way, one of the primary reasons we have marriage is to have a human relationship on earth that expresses that depth of intimacy. Now, intimacy is vulnerable. Intimacy means that my deepest needs are exposed and I have to feel safe enough to let my husband understand the depth of my vulnerability and my deepest needs, and that he'll meet that. And so in order to experience intimacy, both the husband and wife have to feel safe in their relationship. And God's design for marriage addresses a man and a woman's deepest emotional need, paying, paving the way for intimacy. Now, why is this so key? When we look at this passage, and in a minute, Mike and I are going to break down what is a husband's deepest need in marriage? What is a wife's deepest need in marriage? What you're going to see in this teaching in Ephesians 5 and other New Testament passages that teach on marriage, God has designed this relationship so that my deepest needs as a wife can be met and I feel safe in what he has told Mike to do. And his deepest needs as a husband are being met in what God has told me to do. So it becomes a beautiful picture. It does. It does. And that kind of jumps into the women's needs is what they kind of talk about. And um, I checked with Julie to make sure I was right on this, right? Yeah. You told me what these were. 
Um, but basically, there are two needs. The first need is to feel cherished. You know, um, when Julie and I were dating, one of the ways I used to do this is we used to go on walks. And right in the middle of the walk, I'd just start praying. And then I would just start praying to God, God, thank you so much for this day, but thank you much for Julie, you know, in this relationship. And it was a serious relationship. I wouldn't recommend doing this on the first date. Uh, but I basically said, I want this one. I picked this one to be my bride. And that was just a way that I made you feel special. Of all the women that are out there, I'm picking you over everybody else. And that's really important. Women want to feel cherished, guys. And we do a great job at that, right, when we're dating, right, guys? We have all that energy. We're trying to kind of, once again, convince them that, hey, I'm a good guy to marry. Uh, but we get married, what happens? Life happens, right? We've got the kids come along. We've got jobs. We've got work. We've got bills. And that starts to wane. And then we have things that take us away from focusing on our wife, where they feel cherished. What's the main thing for guys? It's typically work. I spend more longer hours in the office. I'm getting kind of satisfied there. So I'm kind of starting to take the eye off the prize and not cherishing my wife as much. And if it's not work, some of us, it's hobbies. Uh, my golf game, I'm trying to drop some scores, you know, some strokes in my golf game, or I like to go mountain biking, whatever that may be, that's taking away time from me being able to focus, uh, being able to focus on Julie. And the last thing um, that basically that it kind of gets into is, I get my notes here, I'm kind of getting off my, my track here, um, is not necessarily listening. And this is something, this is Freudian. I do this all the time. I forget it because this is the one I struggle with the most. He, he forgot this one in the last, <laughs> first service. I, don't, I block it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just really listening, right? Listening to Julie. Julie has all this knowledge in psychology. And when I was growing up, when the kids especially were young, I would focus on, you know, Marine Corps. Let's get this done. This is how we do it. We got to line the shoes up. We got to do She's like, no, 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 no. It's about the relationship. It's not about the activity. And that took me a long time to kind of get my head around. Um, but not listening to her was basically saying, hey, I'm not cherishing you. So how do we turn that around, right? How do we do that? A really good friend of ours, Greg Smalley, who works at Focus on the Family, um, made this statement. He said, get a PhD in your wife. Now, how many people here have a PhD? I know Julie does. I know Mike does. Anybody else? It's hard. It's not easy to do. You've got to do a lot of studying. You've got to go to a lot of classes. You've got to read a lot of books. And at the end, you have to write a paper, a, a thesis, and you have to defend it in front of other folks who have their doctorate who are trying to reel holes in it. It's hard to do, but it's so important to do. It's so important to study your wife and know what really makes her tick. For example, I kind of have three ways that I focus on Julie. Um, you've, who's here heard of Java with Julie? Anyone? Got a couple hands, right? That's for real. Julie loves coffee. It's not just a gimmick. She loves her coffee. So other than getting her flowers, which I've done, or cards, or even jewelry, which I'm so glad it saves us some money, she would rather have a cup of coffee. So I'll go get her an oat milk latte from Starbucks, and then that just makes her day. But that's me showing that I cherish her. I really focus on what she really likes. The other thing that I like to do, or we've learned to do, is you need to be quiet. You know, Julie's an introvert. She really needs that time to process. She loves to read the Bible. She loves to read the old, what do you call them? The dead old guys, mm -hmm. the dogs. Yeah. Uh, they basically, you know, Tozer, Watchman Nee, all these guys who wrote these really, really spiritual books. She loves to study that, but she can't do that, especially when the kids were younger. Um, we're in Colorado. She would actually go out to a place called Praise Mountain, where basically it was a silent retreat. You went there, you, you fasted, and you would really love that. So. We had to put time in the calendar, like, hey, I got the kids this weekend, baby, go do your thing. And that was me showing, hey, I'm cherishing you. And then the last but not least is she really loves half time with the boys and the family. Um, but we know moms, moms, do you control the schedule at home, right, with all the kids, right? You know where all the activities are? That's typically true with Julie. So if I can surprise her 
by setting some time up to be with family that she didn't have to plan or orchestrate, she really appreciated that. Uh, we even did that recently. Our eldest son, Michael, is in Boston, and we flew him home, home unbeknownst to you for Mother's Day to where you could basically um, be there in the kitchen in a cabinet you thought it was one of our other kids, and you're like, oh my gosh, what are you here for? But once again, I know that's very, very important to her, and that's my way of showing that I'm cherishing you. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I would just say uh, each one of your husbands, you have to get, have a PhD in your own life. Like, write a dissertation. What is she like? What makes her feel cherished? What makes her feel special? And also, what are the things that you're doing that make her not feel chosen or cherished by you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the first need. The second need would be to be protected. Now, I can feel some of the tension in the room when I say that. Women are like, hey, I, I can do my own thing. I don't need to be protected. And, and that's true. Like Julie, for example, is a very competent person. She has a doctorate, two masters. She's written 12 books. She can take care of herself. But there are certain areas where she truly does need to be protected. And we kind of had to do that dance to kind of figure out what that looked like. Um, do you want to read First Peter? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, we'll put it right up yeah, there. Yeah, there you go. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, <clears throat> showing honor to women as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. And I think you wanted me to read that because you didn't want to say women are a weaker vessel. <laughs> but really what that's saying is we're more vulnerable. Yeah. Um, women are more vulnerable. Uh, and you just think about domestic violence and mm. sexual assault and all those by and large happen to women who are more vulnerable in a lot of ways. And, and guys will do this in two ways. They'll err on two ways. They'll be over, overbearing, dominant, or they'll be passive when it comes to kind of protecting in some respects. Um, you know, we've done that, and we'll show you a video here in a minute, but that's one of the ways that I'm a little bit more dominant for Julie. I'll kind of like try to take over without checking in with her. We have other guys who just don't really consider it, and neither of those are right. We need to be more like Christ. We need to have that servant love for our spouses. Do you want to play that video? Yeah, do you want to set it up at all? I can set it up, yeah. yeah. So this is, uh, we didn't have the first service, so this is kind of ad-libbing here. Um, so this is called Surf Up. Surf's Up, it's a movie. Um, I grew up in South Florida, loved the surf, so I always loved this movie. But this scene, basically, there's a couple characters. I'm going to ask you, this will be a quiz after, who is Julie in this and who am I in this video? All right, you ready? Yeah, fingers Help crossed. Me, I'm Then what are you standing here next to me for? Go talk to it, man. No, I'm not gonna talk to you. She's digging on you, Joe. called you crap. Joe. Thanks again. All right, well, this is the third time you've been unconscious this week. I just don't think it's very good for your brain. I know. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was awesome. How you uh, saved his life and all. That was just unbelievable. <clears throat> really. <laughs> yeah. You here for the surf contest? Uh, mm -hmm. Well. I'll be watching you. Really? You'll be watching me? Well, yeah, from the lifeguard station. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. It's my, yeah. It's my job. Right. That's your job. Hey, come on. You're going to kiss her or what? What's going on? <laughs> come on, Joe. We got to go. Dude, you were saying you were in love no, with me. All right, it. look. He really did. Joe, you. <laughs> he liked me, though. See ya. Yeah, I love my job. I have an amazing job. Just this week with the contest coming up and all. It's a little crazy. You really have to be extra, extra attentive. And you have so many guys in the water, you can't miss a thing. But you know what? I have a perfect record. I've never lost anybody. Sure, there have been close calls. Help! Oh, Arnold, I turned my... Help me! I'm drowning! <coughs> well, then what are you standing here next to me for? Go talk to her, man. 
Got a double yeah. take there. So you're going to have to set that up a little bit before there'll probably be able to answer who, which one of us is which. Yeah. You want me to help? <laughs> okay, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So what this video really shows is I tend to overcommit. Yes. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. And is so, that true, Mike? Yeah. You probably <laughs> That's do. That's a it just, Yeah. It really is. Like, I hate saying no. And so I'll say yes to everything. I'll sign up for everything. And then I just, I'm like the little guy that's drowning <laughs> and I'll be like oh no I'm overcommitted I'll get sick I'll get run down and then he runes in and kind of saves to, the, tries to, to save me. the day and this just happened I mean this is a this is not something we, we haven't have this wired we're still figuring this out as we go but even coming on board to authentic intimacy um, we were in Kentucky last week working with another ministry uh, called Grace Marriage um, I know we'll, we'll share that information with Mike it's a great organization that really gives you practical ways of working on your marriage and you were doing some video work down there. So we're videos two days, and then the, the second day in the afternoon, there was two folks from Grace Marriage, Julie and myself, just strategizing, how can we help the ministries you know, kind of work together? And within 30 minutes between the two gentlemen there and you, you had like 10 ideas on the table. Like, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. I'm like, that's awesome. And then you look over at me, you go, what other ideas do you have? I'm like, hold on, I think we have enough ideas. <laughs> we need to maybe focus on two of these. And then we'll table the eight and kind of work on getting those done because otherwise you can't do all of those. It just wouldn't be feasible to do that. So sometimes I come in to pump the brakes a little bit when Julie has a tendency to try to overcommit. Because every time you go to a conference when I wasn't working with you, what, what would happen? I always say, hey, how'd it go? I'd say, God worked and I'm tired. And then yeah. you're like a zombie yeah. for three days and hopefully you didn't get sick. Once again, not a bad thing because you have some great work ethic and you really want to help people, but this is a balancing of how can I protect her from overcommitting. Mm. And so what we're really trying to show you is Mike's leadership uh, is not just this, is not this overbearing, you do what I say, but it's this heart attitude like Jesus had where he loves his bride, but he also uses his strength to step in and protect. And sometimes women, we don't like that. I know as a young bride, I didn't like that. I was like, who are you to like give me input? I like to do what I want to do my way. But the way God has designed marriage, he really has designed it for a man to step in the gap, to bring his strength, not to be passive, but to protect and lead his wife, which puts him in a vulnerable position. We uh, talked, Mike shared about the two needs that a woman has, those deep emotional needs to be cherished and protected. And now I want to talk about the two needs that a man has. And we already have a little preview there on the screen. The first one is men need respect. They need to be respected. Now, if you have ever been to a Christian marriage conference or read a Christian marriage book, you probably have heard this as a wife, that men need respect. It almost becomes monotonous. But I could say that most women, including myself, really don't understand what's underneath this idea of men needing respect. And we don't really think about why that is so central to men. And what I learned over time is that just as women have this vulnerability of feeling like they're not chosen or feeling unloved by their husbands, men have a vulnerability that's really rooted in the sense that they have, are very sensitive to failure. Uh, for men, one of the core needs they have is to be somebody who's competent. <laughs> somebody that other people can look up to, somebody who's going to, if he steps in the gap, be, be somebody that we all say, hey, you did a good job, not you failed in front of everyone. So you see like the thumbs up and thumbs down. What I think women don't realize is that our husbands are looking to us to say, am I a hero or am I zero? 
And a lot of the reason that men become passive and they don't lead is because they're afraid of failure. If they step in, if they bring their thoughts, if they make a decision, they have a fear that they're going to do something that will look like a failure. Uh, and they won't be respected by their wife. Their wife will see their fault, their, their flaw, and be critical of them. And if you, even if you look at sitcoms today and you look at commercials today, we have in our culture this idea of women are competent and men are failures. Have you seen that? Like men are the butt of every joke. And we can kind of adopt that without realizing what, what Paul is saying here and what God designed marriage to be. It should actually be not at all like that. that. That a wife should actually be the one who's speaking the greatest life into her husband. That she's the one that's saying, I believe in you. I know your faults. I know your weaknesses. But I also know your strengths. And I'm going to call out your strength. I believe in the man that God has made you to be. And a lot of times we use our words in ways that don't articulate that. You know, one thing that has been helpful for me, even looking at this image, is think about a man always being in the spot of being up to bat. And it's the ninth inning. And uh, if, he, if he hits a home run, the team wins the game. But if he doesn't, then the team loses the game. I love how you, the, or the Guardians, sorry, the yes. Guardians winning and the Red Sox losing. That, I, did that, I did that very <laughs> intentionally. But, but every day, you know, men at some level emotionally feel like they're at bat and they're either going to hit the home run or they're going to strike out. And that's true at work, but that's also true at home. Would you say that is true? Yeah, and that's something that played out once again with the kids, like when we're parenting. You know, if I told the kids to do something and then Julie would come back and say, no, 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 don't do that, or they'd go to mom because she's the more pliable one when it comes to the rules, um, that would really frustrate me. You know, and I felt really disrespected if she didn't you know, say, hey, hold the line. If dad said this, this is the rule. Um, but we had to talk about that, and we learned how to kind of be on the same page because they're like little minions. They run around trying to mold you, and they got all the time and energy to kind of get the answer they want. They keep asking, but we had to work on that. Yeah, and one verse that really has been meaningful to me as a wife is one that I found many years ago, and it really has become sort of a life verse for me related to marriage. Just think about the power of this verse. A wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. And so women, that means we have the power to build our homes, to build our husbands, or the power to tear them down. And usually it's not our hands that build and tear down. You know what it is? It's our words. Uh, how, we, how we speak about our husbands in their presence. Uh, are we critical? Are we dominating? Are we controlling? Or do we use our words in such a way that, again, call out his strength? Uh, and God has called us, when he's talking about this idea of respect, he's calling us to intentionally use our words in a way that says, I believe in you. You know, your husband is not waking up every day and saying, does she still love me? He's waking up every day saying, does she believe in me? She knows my faults, she knows my weaknesses, but does she still believe in me? And that's a lot of power that God has given a wife, and he's called us to use that well and to steward that well. And so that's a husband's, one of his greatest needs is that need to be respected. And I feel like 
I got a great example of this growing up. My parents are in the back there. Hi, Mom and Dad. Uh, and Dad, many years ago, when I was probably like 25, 30 years old, you and I went out for lunch. And my dad, he said to me something he's out of the blue. He said, you know, I'm just the happiest man in the world. Do you know why I'm the happiest man in the world? He said, I have six kids, and they all love me. And he said, your mom gave me that gift. You see, Julie, when you guys were little, I worked a lot, and I wasn't home a lot, and I made some mistakes. But your mom always painted me in a good light to you kids. She always talked about the positive. She always gave you an image of me and my strength and didn't complain about my weaknesses. And because of that, all six of you really love me to this day. Uh, you see me in the best light, and that's a gift that your mom gave me. And Dad, I remember when you told me that story, I was a young wife, and I, we were just starting to have children, and it was a challenge to me to always be intentional about phrasing who you are, Mike, mm -hmm. about building you up in front of our kids, and not just in front of our kids, but everywhere we go. Because, ladies, you can take the same husband and find the weakness and be critical and tear him down, or you can look at the strength and intentionally, through God's power, continually build them up. And that is a husband's greatest need. It really is. And Ephesians chapter 5 and other places in Scripture is really highlighting how we as women can meet that deep need so that we can have intimacy in marriage. And I just add just one thing yeah. to that. You know, the one thing about that, the wife being the most important, that they see you 24-7, mm -hmm. right? At work, you have a certain persona, right? People know you a certain way, but they don't know all of you, right? When you're hanging out with your buddies, right, they know a certain part of you. They don't know all of you. Your wife sees you, dirty laundry and all, she sees you, so she knows you. So that's why that's so important to have that respect. Yeah. Well, the second need that a husband has, and some of you women are going to be like, I knew it, amen, <laughs> is they need help. Genesis. Uh, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and sometimes when we talk about a husband needing respect, we neglect this part, and we make it sound like it's supposed to be, oh, you're always the cheerleader, you're always saying positive things. But we also have to remember in Genesis God said, it is not good for men to be alone. They can't do this by themselves. And therefore, I will make a helpmate that is suitable for him. And Mike, you talked about this last week, but that, that word helper is not like a secondary word. It's the same word that is often used to describe the kind of help that God gives us when he's our help, when he's our strength, the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean that you're supposed to be your husband's personal Holy Spirit? No, no, he's got the Holy Spirit. But it does mean that God has given you in your femininity, in your unique strength, he's given you things that your husband needs in order to be successful, that he can't do life well without your help, which is something that we need to take seriously. You know, I am not only Mike's wife, I am also his sister in the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so as his sister in the Lord, I'm encouraging, I'm reminding him about who God is. And there are times both as brother and sister in Christ where we confront each other. Um, we don't just pretend that something is wrong. We have healthy conflict to address things when needed. And so sometimes I feel like when we, when we study this idea of husbands and wives in the scripture, we highlight the respect without also realizing that God has made me his teammate and God has given me strength. And with that strength, 
I can do one of two things. I can either compete with him, which is not what God wants me to do, or I can complete him. And as you as a wife, you might be thinking, okay, these two needs, respect and help, they almost feel like they contradict each other. Because respect is focusing on the positive and speaking life. And help sometimes might even include confronting. So how do we balance these two needs? And there are some wives that are really good at the respect. And they speak life into their husband. They believe in their husbands. But they're not so good at bringing their strength, bringing their thoughts, bringing their opinions. And so it becomes unbalanced. And then there are other women, and probably more of us in this camp, that are really good at the helping. You know exactly what your husband needs. You want to change him. You're always on the husband improvement project. (laughs) And he can't receive any help you give because he doesn't feel that respect, like you support him. And one thing that's been really helpful for me to realize is it's like building a bridge. I build the bridge each plank by plank with respect. And then I can only walk as far as I've built. Mm. And when Mike really knows that I'm for him, that I'm on his team, then you're open to my feedback. You don't feel threatened by it or you don't feel like I'm trying to take over. That's very true. Yeah, Yeah. because we've had times in a relationship where that wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And if I don't feel respected, then she's trying to give me advice. I'm like, well, she's trying to fix me or kind of mold me into what she wants. And that was something that we had to learn. And I had to get to that space where I could hear feedback. Um, who likes to get feedback? Anybody? Not many of us, right? It's not a natural thing we like to do, but you really have to work at it. it. And it's something, especially when you know you have my best interests in mind. You're really there for me and you're pulling for me. Yeah, and I think this verse in Proverbs, I think really kind of uh, illustrates that. A wife of noble character who can find, she is far more precious than rubies. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he lacks nothing of value. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. So do you see those two needs embedded in that verse? That there's this trust that I'm for you, I'm on your team, I'm not critical of you, I'm not trying to tear you down. And because of that, I can bring these good things, these things of value to you. And so that really rounds out that picture. And I think what we need to realize is, you know, the Bible is an equal opportunity offender. (laughs) Um, When we read this passage and we take it to heart, it's meant to be a serious challenge to both husbands and wives. Men, he's calling you to step into the gap. He's calling to lay your life down for your wife uh, to, to lead. And wives, he's calling us uh, to have this attitude of respect and to really take what he's given us as strength and to use it in a way that builds up our husbands and builds up our homes. And that's hard. It's very countercultural for mm-hmm. both men and women today. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we had to learn. You know, we did get into a fight. Let me rephrase that. When you're married to a psychologist, it's not a fight, it's a conflict. Um, but whenever we get into a conflict, it would be one of those things that say, hey, I didn't wake up today wanting to fight with you. That was never my intent. I didn't wake up today trying to criticize you. That's not on my agenda. But somehow we got there. So how do we walk that back and get back into that healthy cycle versus kind of coming after each other? Yeah. And what we want to encourage you with, and this is, again, something that comes throughout the whole book of Ephesians, is intimacy with your spouse will be fueled by intimacy with God. And we've learned over the last 28 years to love each other well 
and to to so and we still struggle with this. Yeah. We'll probably have a fight conflict tomorrow <laughs> because we taught on it. Um, but we have learned over the years to to love this way because we spend time with God individually and personally. Because ultimately, God is not calling me to trust my husband. He's asking me to trust him. Mm-hmm. And same thing with you as a husband, that that is impossible without God. And that's the challenge. And that's what we want to leave you with here today is knowing that the culture, as Mike was talking about last week, is going to say, focus on you, focus on yourself. You're going to hear that over and over again, Instagram, Facebook, all that fun stuff. But God's not calling us to do that. And Julie's comes up with some really smart stuff. You're really, really smart. God's giving you some wisdom. And you came up with this term, covenant versus contract. And the world wants you to have a contract. If you do this, then you get this, right? That's a contract. That's what they do. What does a covenant do? A covenant is like, no, I'm making a promise to you regardless of what you're actually going to do or say. It has no bearing on what I'm going to do. And that's what we challenge you to do with your, with your relationships. Focus on what God has called you to do, how to serve the way that he's called you to serve. Don't wait for somebody to serve you first, right? That's really, really important. Anything to add before I pray? No, you did a great job. There you go. And my watch is buzzing, so we're done.